0: Welcome writers, game masters, and creatives to the World Builders Tavern. Today we are talking about the fantasy novel, The Book Eaters. Spoiler warning, if you have not yet read this, we are not going to be keeping anything secret. Grab an ale and pull up a chair. I'm Emma, your friendly barkeep, along with Allison. Hi. Christiana. Hello. And our very special guest, the author of The Book Eaters herself, Sunyi Dean. Welcome, Sunyi. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi. Yeah, so we're so glad to have team. you.
1: Yeah. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself quickly for those listening? Uh, I'm Sunny Dean. I'm the multi award losing author of The Book Eaters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was my debut, which came out in 2022, and I think it's the the third book I'd written or something like that. And yeah, I I was born in the states. I grew up in Hong Kong, and I live in the north of England. <laughs> oh, wow! Lovely.
2: Also, I will plug (laughs) Sunny's podcast for her, um, because I love it. It's called The Publishing Rodeo, and her and another author, Scott Drakeford, talk about publishing, and all the things that publishing likes to keep secret, they are very open about, and I really (laughs) appreciate that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we try and have conversations that authors have in bars or in private, just on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That's awesome.
0: Uh, and Sunia, I'm also going to um, ask you if you would give us the summary of the book. Normally I would do that, but since you're here and you know the book way better than we do, uh, can you <laughs> tell us and the listeners what The Book Eaters is about?
1: Uh, I'm pretty bad at that, but I'll try. So I think I would usually say The Book Eaters is kind of a story in two parts. And in one sense, it is a story about people who eat books and the kind of society they construct from that, which is not as heavenly as it maybe sounds. And the other side of it is a story about basically um, a single mother whose son is a little bit different. He eats minds instead of books and everything he eats becomes a part of him. So she has to hunt him good people to eat so that he doesn't become a bad person. And there's Mm -hmm. kind of that intersection between how books influence us socially and the things that Devon does as she becomes more and more of a monster to try and save her son from being a monster.
2: Yeah, that is
0: such a good every... summary.
1: That's <laughs> yes. yeah. I was gonna say that is a
2: plus. I loved how every chapter every chapter begins with a quote from another book. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> it was very <laughs> it's
1: thematic. I was trying to, kind of code it to help readers. So I think the the present day chapters are all quotes from is it, uh, Manny's Amarendra's book that he's writing about the book eaters, and then like the past tense is, mm-hmm. is just like from a, a random well, not mm-hmm. random fairy tales and stories. Um, my pitch for it used to be two women riding yeah, a yeah. train very slowly to Scotland, and my editor thought that sucked. So I've had to work on it. <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> darn those editors! I can say that darn I'm an editor. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> uh, we like to kick off our conversation with guests by doing sort of just a general question about world building. So. Can you tell us a little bit, from what you remember, I know that often it was a very long time ago, so um, no pressure if you don't remember exactly how it all came to be, but can you tell us a little bit about your world building process for the book eaters, where the inspiration came from, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so world building's a very fluid thing for me, I think Uh, it changes depending on what I need the story to be. And initially Mm -hmm. I think book eaters, it's it's a natural way of thinking about books. We we talk about books like they're food or I always have, and there are kind of creatures, like there's a there's a Japanese yokai that eats books. There's even a manga called The Book Eater. It's pretty good. Ooh. I recommend it if, if people mm-hmm. like that kind of vibe. And I think when I was a kid, I used to watch this 90s cartoon called Gargoyles that had a sorcerer named Macbeth who would eat books of power. <gasps>
3: oh, body. I love Gargoyles. It's
1: so good. It was so classic and weird. It was properly weird. And I think that's really- so it. It's so it. good. It's so good. Following books whole. It just I don't know. Um and it just I think had a lot of interesting discussion in it and it was just it was fun. Um and I guess the the real issue of world building and book eaters is that it became very early on this pivot point for me where I had to think about how much of the world building I go into versus not because if you're writing more fantasy, just as like a, a market thing, um, fantasy readers like a lot of world building. We like to know details. We like to know all the colors of the dresses that they're wearing. And every Wheel of Time novel, at least Robert Jordan thinks, oh, mm-hmm. not <laughs> and, um, yes, readers <laughs> no, really don't care, and they kind of don't. They want they want to get to the story, and the world building's just there to like add window dressing. So yeah. How much I focused mm. on the world building and how much I went into it became a, a, a big thing in the book, I think, more than the world building itself.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I read a and a with you on your website or something where you had talked about you had all this extra information about Japan and, and book eaters in other countries, but you didn't oh, cool. put it into this one. Yeah, I think so. How do you decide what to put in and what to keep out?
1: I think i sat down early on and thought well i want the focus to be about devon and her son and that i was most interested in the personal story and that for me it was not exactly window dressing but kind of that way and that meant the story needed a really tight focus i was trying to use like a domestic thriller structure for it and the world building there mm. just mm-hmm. kind of to support the story um and I, I thought if I start like I did think about writing a story that explored the book Eaters and the Origin, I thought that would be a completely different book. That would be a very like mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. fancy yeah. proper dive, kind of going straight into the magical. Um so I kind of stayed away from that. And when I let the story be guided by Devin and her what interested her, because she's not very academic and she's not really that interested in in the, the her people's path. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she yeah. she just took it in that direction and uh I think everything else that didn't fit was cut. Uh, word counts are pretty mm. great these days for debut. Day yeah. Mm. I think
3: mm-hmm. for me at least, like uh, Ali suggested the story knowing that I was going to love it because <laughs> I love vampires and I love anything even slightly weird. If it's weird, I'm going to be on board kind of thing. Um, but what I really loved about the story is that at the end of the day, it was a story about like a single mom providing for her kid mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like that's what it was. It was um that story, but set against a very weird kind of world, so to speak. And I think that's what made it so impactful for me at least was that it didn't go super into the world building and didn't delve super deep into that because that's not what mattered to Devin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What mattered was that her kid was fed and taken care of kind of thing, so.
1: If he wanted more like, For more world building, I guess I'd recommend to readers stuff like Empire the Vampire, which would maybe be more about the world. Mm -hmm. But for similar books, I think, Mm. I don't know if you've ever read it, but Night's Edge by Liz Karen, which came out recently, and that is like a a single mother-daughter vampire thing. But it's it's different from Book Eaters, but some similar kinds of things. It's really interesting (laughs) if you like that kind of thing. (laughs)
2: I mean, I especially loved the society of the book eaters and how it, I mean, I don't love patriarchy, but I love the society you built around patriarchy and these knights and dragons. And I also really enjoyed how when you first mentioned dragons. You you only hear Devin refer to them by their name, and you don't know that they're not literal dragons. I was like, "Are there dragons? What is happening?" And then, yeah, but you don't you never explain that. It just you come to the realization that's what this is. And I just like really yeah. subtle world building like that. Like I I think maybe a less experienced author would be tempted to explain what the dragons and knights were yes. right away as soon as you introduce them, and you're like, "No, that's not important right now. We'll just." Briefly mention them as Devin thinks about them, and then move on. So I think that that is really good advice for for listening writers. Just knowing when to
1: info dump, I guess. Mm. I think a lot of the books I read growing up were very, uh, like Gene Wolfe books that he just drops you into the story, and there's no explanation. You sink or swim. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: I love that approach.
0: Though mm. it it really I, I enjoy it yeah. a lot. It makes a world feel lived in, like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to get my bearings because this is an actual place and not something that's just been created for me sort of feeling, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to ask whether, if you can remember, or if it's a chicken and egg sort of situation, mm-hmm. about whether kind of the plot came first, like, did Devin come first, or did the world of the book eaters come first, or how did those two develop in your in your crafting process?
1: Uh, so... I'm not sure which exactly one was first, but there was the the very first short story I ever wrote, which was sometime after I'd written my first novel. Actually, it might have been sometime after I'd written my second novel. I started to write short stories, and it was called, uh, oh, shoot, was it called? Deserted Lies the City, and it was like a post-apocalyptic biblical story about a woman and her half-angel son, and they were traveling through all these destroyed towns, and you know, every time her son throws a tantrum, he would like set the towns on fire, and they'd have to move on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it was okay, but it was, I mean, there's not a lot of interest in that kind of fiction, post-apocalyptic biblical fiction, and it had lots of issues. Uh, but later on, when I was starting to work on Book Eaters, I think the very first incarnation, it was more, it would have fit in like a, like a Edgar Allan Poe anthology or something. It was about like a guy that was to stay yes. in, in the house of yeah. this creepy lady that's basically hired him to write poetry and... And then he slowly figures out that, that she's not what, what he thinks she is. And then it morphed into a story about a guy who meets a strange woman on a, a chat room. And <laughs> he eventually finds out she's a book eater. And in both of those, both of those iterations, any, anything, any literature that they ate is like taken from the mind of the artist. And I think at some point I realized that I could pair the dynamic of book eating with the, the mother's dangerous child thing going on in that short mm. and then it just came together after that um that was very long sorry <laughs> no that's no, great well, that's <laughs> listen
0: to you <laughs> we yeah. want to hear you talk yes yeah
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing i wanted to ask you about was how did you decide that book eaters have no imagination and is that yeah. literally do they not have imagination or have they just been culturized to think that
1: maybe a bit of both but i think i think there were too many ideas in the book that i never really some of them i really didn't explore enough or very well and and one of them i was interested in is just the idea that they are basically the sum total of what they consume and that devon is a little different Mm -hmm. she got to read some books instead of just eating them and that there's like a difference between Mm -hmm. processing data and just storing it and there was never space on the Mm -hmm. page for that Mm -hmm. so Um, But I think humans are not very creative either. I think think we're
3: very stuck in our road. Obsessed with that, like, description of, like, it's such an existential thing, right? Like, you could look at, like, a man is but the sum of his actions in this, like, very disappointing kind of, like, oh, I'm just what I do. But also you're like, I'm just what I do (laughs) kind of thing, like in a more, like, uplifting, like, you know. So and I think Devin is a, fantastic example of that in a society where it is we are just what we consume you could take that as like a very I guess like kind of like depressing and sad approach to existence or you could take it as this very like uplifting and thrilling way of like I'm just what I consume I'm going to consume everything I'm going to be everything right like that's at least kind of how I felt about Devin reading it where I was it was very you know forced to read just fairy tales and cautionary tales and all those unfortunately systemically appropriate yeah. stories for young <laughs> girls kind of thing um but then choosing instead like no i'm gonna eat magazines i'm gonna eat all these things i'm gonna sneak into my dad's tower and eat all these forbidden books kind of thing right like it's a, uh, it's the same consequences but played out in very different ways and i i was fascinated
1: by it. I think ex because my, my editor is sort of ex-evangelical and uh, my agent and me and a lot of my beta readers, they kind of saw that as, I think for us it was, we've had that experience of where you grow up and you kind of are the knowledge that you're given, but mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of in mm-hmm. books for me when I was growing up and reading them mm-hmm. was mind-blowing mm-hmm. and when you realize that there are other people out there who live completely different lives and they think about the world in a different way, it's like like you've seen a new universe for the first time and um, books have power to yeah. control but also to kind of open up your brain in
0: really cool mm. ways i really enjoyed the world building that put Devin into the really difficult position of like you said in your summary having to find good people to murder <laughs> yeah. because sometimes you know yeah. it, you see in some shows like like dexter for example where it's like. Well, I have to kill, but I'm gonna kill bad people, and then it's okay. But this is quite like she can't; she has to yeah. kill good people, or <laughs> yeah. her son will become like because he becomes what he in the same way he becomes what he consumes. But it's minds, and I just thought that that was like a great way to add tension. And she clearly doesn't mm-hmm. like this about herself, but she's gonna do everything for her son. And like, what a great way to illustrate that relationship, and also. The wedge that it drives between them like the fact that he never calls her mom he only calls her Devin <laughs> because they do have to do these horrible things with each other and to each other and for each other it's just it's heartbreaking and also like great like in the heartbreaking in the yeah. best way.
1: <laughs> I do love that show. I, yeah, Good that, show. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, I realized I didn't actually put a question there. I was just, like, saying things that I
1: liked. Yeah, but, just,
2: like We just, uh, <laughs> we like this and we like that. And... Yeah. Oh, speaking of, like, yeah. I really liked that Devin plays video games with... Um, yes, what's the final mean? line
3: being, like, Jero. having the Mario theme song. Yes, was, as,
2: like, as a big old gamer, it, uh, yeah. I was very yeah. happy about that. <laughs> All right. yeah. Are you
1: a gamer, Sunny? Yeah, uh, n- funnily enough not laura croft but then because of when the novel was set it was kind of like oh
3: yeah like that would be the game technically
1: laura croft wouldn't have come out for like a year or two um but i've not had any angry emails about this (laughs)
3: If people are more upset about when a video game was released versus someone having a proboscis <laughs> tongue to people's minds, their priorities yeah. are weird.
0: Also, this so. is kind of an alternate Earth. So who's to say in the Earth where there are book eaters, you know, Lara Croft didn't come out two years Maybe earlier. Out, really.
2: That's what I mean. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the butterfly yeah, you effect, that's right? The
2: thing you'd get hung up on, really? Okay. <laughs> I just, I liked that she was consuming stories in all sorts of ways and video games yes. was one of them. Yeah, so that was interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then the fact that they can't write, I was like, "Oh my! How would you even function?" Like, no I wonder they're die. set back yeah. in like 1800s-ish society. It seems was that the the kind of idea.
1: I, I think there are there are a couple of things. The first is I thought if they can write, they'll just feed themselves constantly. Like they would just live in like a mm.
2: uh, yeah up.
1: Oh, oh. I didn't even. think uh, but the that. other side <laughs> of it is it was initially I gave them more of a yokai background until I did some really kind of soul searching on that and thought, you know, I'm really, really not the person to write about this. Uh when I really looked into it, I was like, I could research this till the cows come home and it's just it's not my culture or anything. So I stepped away from that. Mm, But the book eater yokai can't write either. And they need basically humans to write for them and that's why some of them like Mm -hmm. in the book eaters manga, I think the the girl adopts like poet <laughs> to kind of write for her and feed her stuff and i thought yeah they need some limitations but again you know i, I completely understand sometimes when some reviewers have been like it just feels like this is put in for the sake of it and it kind of is but i don't really care <laughs> sorry i think it makes sense. I, yeah. I disagree <laughs>
3: yeah i'll strongly disagree with those reviewers i'll Fist fight them in the back. I think that makes
2: perfect sense. I I also saw a review complaining about, well, this book should have just been set in the 1800s because, or something like that. And I was like, that's the point, though, that this society is stuck in this kind of old fashioned movement that they can't really move out of. And there but yet they're in the present world i just loved the dichotomy i thought it was really good yeah, yeah. i think
1: there's a an ass, there's there's some issues of british culture as well that didn't because i didn't think it would even i didn't even mm. think about the american market which you're supposed to when you write but i thought i really just wanted to do a book for oh. british people set in britain because i love to navel uh-huh. gaze, love mm-hmm. books set in yeah. the country and there there is like a whole class divide here where to be honest people who are upper class are still kind of stuck in the past culturally they Mm-hmm. okay I mean, yeah you know there's still people who live in castles and still have landed titles and chaquere house is still inhabited by a, a lady of that house and her children and they're landed gentry um so there's a little bit of that i think but also in general yeah i think yeah. i think a lot of review a lot of negative views when you for all books not just mine when i look at them they often boil down to i hoped this book would be something else and it wasn't <laughs> and that's fine mm, like i yeah. can't help yeah. them. <laughs> except maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, you're never going to please everybody. Exactly.
3: (laughs) I want to, this is my opportunity. Emma and I were chatting about this in our little group chat. Your descriptions of physically eating books made me want to physically eat a book so bad. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to, like, it sounded so satisfying, like, chomping through and tasting the ink and everything and, like, The description of like magazines, since they have like more ink, being kind of like sour and bitter and stuff. I was, I've never eaten a book before. (laughs) Hand on my heart, I promise I've never just chomped through an entire book. Um, but somehow I was like, yes, that's exactly what it would taste like. Like, how did you like come to that? I'm just so deeply curious. How. What was your kind of like thought process with that? Uh, so I
1: guess my first thought process there is, there's actually an Orbit editor called Brit. Uh, I'm not sure to say her surname, Vide. and she's talked on Twitter before about basically she has a form of synesthesia where books have a taste to her. And um, She did a thread once, if I can find it at some point, but she did a thread once about um how when she reads submissions, she's drawn to books of certain tastes you know some of them will be like coppery or sweet or whatever but it's a bit different for her because she's got food to compare to so one of the things I thought about was that I can't mm. compare food because they won't yeah. really know what that tastes like so um there was yeah. a no book eating but maybe a lot of page licking just to like test it out <laughs> <laughs> ah, I <love> um... it. <laughs> that's so good yeah I guess just trial and error and I don't know just fun and um I do have a lot of friends with synesthesia, and they actually have good suggestions for stuff. It's they they experience things differently, yeah
3: oh, that's cool. really neat that's very neat that is super neat, and I love that because yeah, I to your description of some of the books I was like, I just want to like rip a book off my shelf. <laughs> Something. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It was it was like a weird compulsion while I was reading your no. book where I was like Your spouse is gonna, gonna, gonna be like, gonna
0: why are there bite marks know. in all of our books, Christiana? What <laughs> what happened here?
2: You have to ask I your read your this phenomenal sharpen. book called The Book Eater. Yeah. You need book teeth. My own teeth.
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. I need my second row. My
1: agent <laughs> did actually do like a video for social media where she dips the book in ketchup and takes a bite out of it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really. I'll find it somewhere on Twitter. I think when I read it. it Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I want to see that. That's fantastic. And she lent that book out to her Um, kids because it's the one that had the bite in it, and it came back and from her oldest teen, and it had another bite in it. So I guess they tried it as well. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's so funny. Oh, I'll I'll find it and send it to you afterwards.
2: Yeah, share it. Yeah. (laughs) we'll we'll post it on our twitter or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so one of the world building societal thematic things that i really appreciated was that you have this society of the raven scars who for people who haven't read the book are book eater or a book eater family that controls this drug so that book eaters who are born mind eaters can eat books and don't have to eat minds and spoiler warning uh this this family the raven scars disappears during devin's adulthood and she's trying to track them down because she wants the drug for her son and When she finds them, she finds that they are a society of mind eaters instead of book eaters who just want to live. Um, But that their whole society... They wanted to create, like, a free new society, but their whole society is exactly the same as Devin's family. Um, And so... I just love to hear how you came up with that idea as opposed to having them be an actual free happy society mm-hmm. um and was that like part of the the theme you were going through or how did the how did the the creative process go there
1: uh, I guess i was thinking about change being hard that i think mm. really struggle to to be different from how they grew up so Killick really struggles, like he tries to be different from his father, but the things that he does to set his family free, basically like he kills and consumes his father, um, makes him like his father. So he becomes, you know, the the same kind of perpetrator. He doesn't know how to break free from that mold. He doesn't understand that he himself is in in a very fundamental way part of the problem. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to recreate anything different. And I think I don't know cuz I in some ways I can be a little radical I guess with, with that side of feminism I, I feel like you can't really fix patriarchy you need something entirely different that's just how I feel about mm-hmm. it so I yeah. think yeah like trying to fix it was never going to work so <laughs> I
3: will say yeah yeah I think
1: kill it, trying to fix it was never going to work and that that was what that was sort of about for me and in the same way that, that I think for me like it's whatever the readers feel but for me devon fails in her efforts to to be different to protect kai from uh you know she fails basically in her promise to him at the end he does have to consume someone else even though she tells him he won't. Mm-hmm. it becomes the thing she's mm-hmm. trying to protect him from despite everything she's sacrificed and i think all of that's just tied up in change is very very difficult and slow and often mm-hmm. bloody
3: do you have kids because this seems like the kind of novel that really comes from a parent's perspective so I'm just kind of curious but I also recognize that's a personal question
1: yeah I do have kids and I think I've told the story in a a couple different places but I was kind of married with kids when I started writing it and I wrote about this single mother and then by the end of the by the time I'd finished the book I had moved out and become a single parent so it was like it did bleed into each other in a a very weird surreal way Mm. hmm
3: yeah no, I could it, the like uh the you're so thoughtful about your writing and Thanks. you're so passionate and like it it really like I don't have kids kind of thing, but I you're so in wonderfully descriptive, and also like I don't have kids, but I have nibblings, I have nieces and nephews kind of thing, and like seeing some of the descriptions, I was like. I'm assuming this is a mom writing a mom yeah. kind of thing, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I could kind of see it sometimes where I was like, "Oh, the only way um this is so accurate and so like punches me right in the gut sometimes." Cuz Devin's not is, a good person. You know, <laughs> <from experience.
2: laughs> she does bad stuff, but all in the name I'll of I'll
3: defend person. Devin to yeah. the <laughs> death. Devin is a fantastic person. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's doing everything she can I for she her kid bad <laughs> what else can you more like
1: what yeah. more can you ask
3: <laughs> I, I think she's become a bad
1: person so. but for me I was interested in the process by which good people become kind of bad and that's not she can yeah people, but, yeah know, exactly uh, and definitely it's not a, it's not a, like a pro I think I've seen that from some of the Illumicrate folk like reviewers and stuff where they, they were like oh this is a pro parenting book and it's really not like if you read that book and you think wow this is a great picture of parenting we have like Really? no
3: i read that as a not parent yeah. and thought yeah thank thank god i don't, oh, have, I to don't have to that situation i always tell people don't yeah. have kids
1: because if they want them they'll have them anyway um and if they're not sure then <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah you know it's really it's hard and yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to do when they're they're kind of for women, it will really limit you in life in some ways, and that's kind of worth mm. knowing. <laughs> hmm hmm Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. a really
0: interesting take on we often see sort of love as a motivator, especially, I think, in, in fantasy and sci-fi. Like, that's a big... There's often, you know, the love oh, love conquers all, love is what will get us through, and it does, mm-hmm. but then I like that this is kind of the darker side of love as a motivator, of, like, I think there is specifically a line that's like, this is what love will make you do, like, that sort of thing, and seeing it as the, oh, yeah, this can motivate you to do some evil stuff <laughs> yeah. uh, for people that you care about, which is a great yeah. turn of a trope, which is fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, the early scene where Devin has her daughter and then has to give her up, Mm. Oh my goodness, that was so hard to read. Particularly because you can see it. At least I I assume other people could see it coming, and Devin can't. Mm. She she thinks she's gonna beat the society and be able to see her stay there with her daughter, and then they're like, "No, that ripped me up for sure."
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In the best way, yeah. Favorite, yeah in the best way. We yeah. love
2: to be torn to shreds. We like to be tortured yes. by stories.
1: <laughs> it's weird,
0: and I mean, also later there was even after being betrayed in that way, she still believes that you know, ten years later she's going to get to see her daughter. It's she's happen. still, and it's yeah. again such a great look at sort of systems and how they get people to stay in bad systems or think, oh, well, it's going to change or it's going to be different for me. And the reality is, of course, that that's never really the case.
3: You're never the exception. You're always the rule. Yeah. Kind of to some extent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It's no, there's some I must applaud your world building. (laughs) Just this. Yeah, it's it's great. And all of the. I was so surprised when I came to the end and I realized that it was like a standalone novel. Cause I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much to explore. There's not, there's not more what <laughs> I,
1: think, I think a lot of the world building comes from real life things. So, you know, the UK is one mm. of the few Western countries that has uh, forced adoption as a rule of law. And it's a, it's a very cruel rule. And I've had friends who almost lost their children through that um, basically one woman, her son. He, he fell sick or something and then like he was injured in hospital by one of the staff and they tried to cover it up by blaming parents the child was temporarily taken off Ooh. them and then there's like where mm. babies have to be adopted out asap so they were working against this like uh six month clock to get their son back because once he's adopted wow y- you can adopt a child if the state deems it's susceptible against the parents will and then it's irreversible um, and it's like, like wow, in inhuman in, in oh laws left over from the Victorian era. But you know, stuff like that exists in the UK, which is really scary. And um yeah. I forget what I was gonna say now. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so- <laughs> well, that, that impacts laws. In, yeah,
3: world
0: building
2: from yeah. real life. Yeah,
3: stuff. yeah. Also, laws like that exist mm-hmm. in Canada too. Like when it comes to yeah. indigenous communities, there's a thing called the Sixty Scoop. Mm-hmm. So, um. Canada committed genocide against Indigenous peoples and put them into residential schools and things like that. And the last one closed in '94. It's not even that long I think. ago. No, um, same year I was born. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. I think that's also part of why the story was like. Eh. <laughs> Hit, it hit me, it was like a gut punch sometimes in the most beautiful <laughs> and fantastic way. So.
1: I was just going to answer the standalone thing very quickly and say, uh, I, mm. I will admit I did think I was yeah. writing a series because that's the norm for our genre. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when Tor acquired it, they felt that it would be better as a standalone for a lot of reasons, which in like a business sense, they're doing me a favor, but it did catch me off guard a bit. So there were a lot of things mm. like I didn't want to romance in it at yeah. all. I, wanted, I assumed if there's going to be one, that would take up a whole other book and instead that had to be thrown into book one yeah. and a lot of other things wrapped mm. up so um one day there might be a sequel but yeah that that was the thinking behind it oh
3: I would <laughs> yeah. be first in yeah. line for that sequel sonny. yeah I yeah. would be
0: I mean it definitely right works as a standalone like it tells a complete story and yes I do yeah. I do like that because yeah it is often that you'll get a series and sometimes it's nice to just read one book and have it be a contained story which is yeah. But um, I do admit I was like, "Oh man, I want more book eaters. I want more of these very cool <laughs> creatures in society." Yeah. So yes, if you ever do put out another one, uh, you'll have at least three readers immediately
3: <laughs> that will yes. go out again uh, immediately <laughs> off the hop. Yeah, another podcast spot.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> scared yeah. that I'd get stuck like writing the Adventures of Devon and Hester urban fantasy series kind of thing forever, um, mm. and I understand why they wanted to avoid that and. Yeah, because mainstream readers, this is sort of a weird one, mainstream readers don't really read series. <laughs> like, hey. uh, They'll read crime, crime readers do, but like yeah. people, the, the what's it, the average person reads six books a year or something if they're a reader. The six book a year crowd don't really do that. They'll pick up the first book of a series and not read the rest, or they'll just read standalone, so yeah, I think. Yeah.
2: Okay, I was going to ask what the publisher... Logic was, but it's because the book eaters is trying to reach that, or it succeeds at reaching that mainstream audience as well as the sci fi and fantasy. Yeah, is that what the... they're
1: aiming for the mainstream kind of like more Neil Gaiman does. Mainstream mm. as well. oh, but also, yeah, increasingly, yeah. the uh, old... series have the yeah. midlist death spiral where every book has less readers, mm. and that like the thing yeah. you know, if you get if half your readers book one follow you to book two, you're gotcha. right. You know. Mm. so you're guaranteed less readers every time and if you can write standalones you can get the same amount of readers every time if you pull it off so it's interesting yeah
3: and you mentioned this was like your third novel roughly is that your third published published third written yeah gotcha okay so that's also i feel like another thing that happens also for context for you the three of us know each other because we used to run a publishing press and in publishing (laughs) press together. Um, So I know that um, like Mm first-time authors when you're publishing, it's harder to sell a series versus a standalone, right? Mm -hmm. Because that publishing press is then taking a bet on three books Mm -hmm. from an author who hasn't sold before versus one book kind of thing, which isn't always necessarily fair, but the Margins, at least when we were doing an indie press, were. <laughs> I mean, our, yeah, mighty, um, mighty slim. our experience
2: is also so, as a small press. I don't know what it's yeah, like. Yeah, a very small press. A so, giant. Yeah. It's yeah. like Tor. Yeah. It,
3: yeah. is editor by editor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah, interesting. I think
1: Cameron yeah. Hurley said she talked about Tor being like fiefdoms. I felt like that was accurate. Uh, hmm. If you have a good editor, it's good. If you don't, it's not great. And um, oh great <laughs> but i'm on a three book standalone contract which is like a new thing that tor seems to be doing
3: oh that's cool um, yeah oh that's yeah interesting. it's weird it's it
1: it means it's abandoning the book a year model because standalones you're starting from scratch you don't have the same word yeah count yeah uh i don't i i don't know how it's working out for them but they keep they're still doing them so that there's like a hmm. you know a few other people since me you've gotten this kind of contracts so i think i think they're liking it <laughs>
2: Interesting. do you like writing
1: standalones is that
2: yeah i was gonna your... say how do you like um, it
1: i i mean i'm slow anyway so far i've liked it i think i think i'm not really an epic fantasy i was kind of dreading doing a series to be honest so i think like when my editor said mm. we don't okay. get vision book eaters as a series and i think she's expecting pushback i was like great you're banned. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> tired of it. Just tired of working on it. If I wrote another Book Eaters one, it would be standalone, same world. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 It... <laughs> I didn't mind, but it is a lot of work. It's it's very daunting to start throw everything out, start from mm-hmm. scratch, do the same again, but not too similar, but not too different.
2: <laughs> yeah. Build a new world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hello, world builders. Emma here. Did you know that the Worldbuilder's Tavern has a free Discord community for sci-fi and fantasy writers? Get encouragement for that novel you're working on, participate in the monthly flash fiction challenges, and, of course, geek out about worldbuilding. Follow the link in the show notes to join. Well, that seems like a great way to segue to our next segment, which is generally where we would do proprietor's pick and say, if you like this, you might like this other thing. But instead, we're going to ask you uh, (laughs) if there is anything that you can tell us about what comes next. What's your next project? Is there anything you're working on? Is there anything you're excited to do? Of course, you know, you can't. We know that there's... Um, privacy and us. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but if there's anything that you can yeah. tell us about kind of what comes next, we would love to hear it.
1: Well, I've taken so long on book two that I'm now working on two books simultaneously, which is very smart and definitely not going mm. to that fire. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, Sounds really <laughs> relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, one of the books is it's uh, the second book I wrote, which I found an agent with and we queried and it died horribly on sub. And since then, like I've written Book Eaters and then another book and I've looked at it and gone, okay, I see everything that's wrong with it. So I've actually rewritten that and submitted it to Tor Ooh, and they had hey. thoughts on it, but they did like it. Um and that that one I think you can if you look at it, the, the query is on Query Shark somewhere It's like number three oh seven, but it's Oh it's like a dream world book that's so about uh, a woman who Ooh. is she's about twenty five, she's depressed and she's suicidal but the main character is actually her dream self in the dream world and if this woman dies her dream self will die so the book is all about trying to kind of save her and it gets very very weird and strange and there's like a Sumerian death goddess Uh, and I'm looking at Christiana because I'm like oh my goodness this
0: this (laughs) sounds like Christiana's Christiana's
3: book yeah (laughs) Is that me <laughs> as the main oh, character? Yeah, no, that sounds so incredible. I love that. I'll, I'll, I'll put a
1: link to it because I can't. Yeah, that's
3: Query Shark. I that <gasps> Yes, I will. Hmm, if you ever <laughs> need a little tiny freak as her <laughs> reader, I'm I'm your little freak on call. So. Um, and- the uh, other
1: one that I started writing and then took so long on it's it's very different. It's like a historical fantasy and it's set in Hong Kong, and it kind of goes between Kowloon Walled City in the 1960s and the the outlying rural islands, the ghost islands, uh, in the kind of during World War II. Because I think there's actually not a lot known about Hong Kong ooh. in that period in the West, so it is a ghost story and a kind of no. love story and a revenge story that spans a lot of decades. <laughs> so... I'm not explaining it very well. well.
2: sounds delightful. I
3: feel like, yeah, that would get a lot of interest, I feel Mm -hmm. like, off of, again, me being a little weirdo, (laughs) at least me saying, I think that would get a lot of interest. Um, But, yeah, you're right. Like, that kind of, like, section of history Mm -hmm. is lost a lot, and Mm -hmm. people vaguely know of it, but not a lot kind of thing, and I think that would be – that sounds
2: fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, those, mm-hmm. it sounds like you really write books that toe the line of sci-fi, fantasy, and
3: oh, actual... Uh,
2: what's the other word? Fiction? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the more broader audience really well. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. uh, listeners are interested in writing that kind of balanced story, I would say check out Sunny's writing, because mm-hmm. it's a good masterclass <laughs> how on you? how to do that.
1: <laughs> I'd also recommend uh, Why uh, Be I- Mount Char, I guess, which is a bit of an older book now, but I think it's yes. weird yeah. and dark and kind of does that line <laughs> very well.
2: Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that one coming out and it mm. being uh, a big deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then he didn't write any more. I don't know what happened with that. Uh, oh. One hit uh, wonder. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Happens in the publishing world, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's another we're doing so with our segways today because that's another great segue talking about, you know, what listeners can take away uh, to our final section where we're going to talk about advice. So um, usually we just pick advice from what we've uh, been talking about and how listeners can apply it to their own worlds. So Sun Yi doesn't necessarily have to be from book eaters, but if you were going to give um, someone who is world building advice on world building, what would you say is an important thing to keep in mind?
1: I guess keep in mind your goals I won't say don't focus on world building because some books are about that like some of China Mabel's books Mm. like *The Scar it's just all world building and that's fine but I think Mm it doesn't have to be sacred (laughs) and I I change mine all the time I bend it and twist it and for me the characters are the goal and the the thing that I focus on but that's different for every writer Um, and obviously world building disease is a very real thing in fantasy I think a lot for that when they're just getting their feet wet yeah yeah
3: yeah no I feel like I'm gonna get it doesn't have to be sacred (laughs) tattoo or something like that so salient and perfect sometimes you just got to do the thing yeah you know it doesn't have to be sacred that's such a salient way to put it Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah and then Allie do you have something from our conversation or from when you were reading the book eaters that you think listeners can apply to their world building.
2: Really liked how the book eaters weaves together world building with theme. Like Sunny wanted or Sunny said some really neat things about or neat truthful things <laughs> about patriarchy and you you know Eating information, becoming who you are, changing is difficult. I just found it all wove together really well, and so I'm curious, Sunny. So I'm I'm gonna make you give give it my <laughs> um did you plan that, like the themes, or did they just kind of come out as you were writing?
1: I think I try and always follow Gene Wolfe's advice because he's, he's smarter than me, so I use his, which is that the, the goal of a novel is to always entertain the reader, and if you're there to lecture, mm. don't write, become a sociology professor. Uh, if mm. like, you've know, read his books and they're so like literary that. and allegorical that. and dripping with themes, and if he's saying that, that you know, I think the themes do come out and you can't really stop them. It's like trying to stop a pop. Mm. so So
2: that's really good advice then just just write your story and your your Mm -hmm. themes will come Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean that's what makes it organic too i think sometimes when you feel like you're being beaten over the head with a theme i think maybe that's Mm -hmm. when it's someone was trying to tell you as opposed to if it's a theme that you're you know passionate about or you think is important it's going to come through your writing no matter what so you don't have to force it or you can also do it on subsequent drafts. Like you can write your draft and then go back and be like, yeah. oh, I see a theme. Look at that. I didn't even know that, that was <laughs> that was there. Let me highlight this. Uh Christiana, what world building advice do
3: you have for listeners based on book eaters and our conversation today? Um, I think that sometimes you can transpose what is like realistically a very simple and emotional story onto a different world, right? Like the story of a mother providing for her child. Mm. That's existed since time immemorial. So can you put it on a world that's different? Can you put it on a world that's a little weird? Like how can you kind of, how does the world change that story? And there's nothing wrong with picking a story that is kind of universally relatable. Um, it's how can you kind of apply to a world that makes it a little bit Mm. different Mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? Like the story of a mother providing for her child, even as not a mother, it still hurts my feelings (laughs) in the best ways kind of thing, right? Um, but how do you make it a little different and what's different about Sunny's phenomenal writing is the book eaters and that kind of society and that sort of thing, so... It's okay to use tropes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just, I love how do you tropes. Apply it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you apply it to kind of a different, different society, different world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And one thing that sticks out to me from our conversation in the Book Eaters is the reminder that inspiration for world building comes from anywhere and everywhere, and mm-hmm. it yeah all meshes together. You can take inspiration from one area of your life, you know, from history that you like, from an experience your friend had, from a f- song lyric you heard once, and you can mesh it all together. And it's sort of like, it's a mosaic and a melting pot and it becomes something entirely new. So like, be on the lookout for things. If you see something or you hear something that you think is cool, write it down. Like if you're like, that's a really cool fish, like write down the type of fish (laughs) and include it and maybe it'll come up somewhere and it'll be a really cool fantasy creature is this weird fish so be inspired the world is super inspiring um but with that unfortunately i have to say that it is closing time uh thank you so much for being here with us thank you to our listeners for joining us at the tavern uh of course you can find the world builders on discord we're also on twitter at wb tavern pod and we're on tiktok at world builders tavern and sunyi where can listeners find you on the internet if you wish to be found
1: uh i still have a presence on dying twitter i'm not going to call it
0: the letter <laughs> uh, yeah no we refuse uh, to call it exits a personal thank it's a personal
1: yeah, very much. to be honest I think every time I check it it just depresses me a bit I'm on Blue Sky a little bit probably mm. more on Instagram and Facebook but I do have a website which is more or less update and um, there's also the Publishing Rodeo website which has all our show notes and stuff and, and that's, that's uh, I guess our Twitter the Publishing Rodeo Twitter and Blue Sky will tell people when a new episode is down <laughs> Mm-hmm. awesome cool we'll put links to awesome. all of that
0: in our show notes we're also gonna put a link to that uh query shark queries so that people can <laughs> check that out uh definitely listen it, listen to some podcast that was the publishing rodeo is yeah. am i saying that that's right remembering yeah. that correctly yeah. Check that out. Um, And of course, if you want more uh content from World Builder's Tavern, you can always join our Patreon at patreon.com slash will oh my goodness, you won't be able to find it (laughs) if I can't pronounce it, at patreon.com slash worldbuilders tavern for extra content such as our after hours episodes and behind the scenes updates. And with that, everybody, you gotta scram.
2: Bye. Get out of here.